Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about the practice of meditation, uh, or specifically, uh, shamatha. Uh, and as always, this is only my understanding of things and nothing more. Always feel free to ask questions, reach out. You know, it's my responsibility to figure out how to explain my point of view to you. It is not your responsibility to figure out what I'm trying to say, okay? So let's get started. When I refer to meditation, I'm always referring to shamatha. Uh, shamatha means tranquility of mind, uh, mind calmness, or calm abiding, depending on who taught you. Um, I tend to like the words calm abiding because that's what we're learning to do. Uh, we're learning to calmly abide with the mind as it is. It's the practice of learning to be with things as they are. That's meditation. Um, we're learning to be less reactive and more thoughtful. Um, this kind of takes us back to our previous episodes where we're learning to create space between stimulus and response. So it's not that we do nothing. It's that we learn to create space so that we can do the right thing, the appropriate thing. That's the benefit of this practice. Meditation allows us to do something else. Um, it allows us an opportunity to clear our karma. So I'm not going to get into all the studies done on meditation. You can look this up on your own. But uh, what I'm going to focus on at first, at least, is the usefulness of the practice. Um, so to look at it from a non-spiritual point of view, it's called a practice because we're practicing. We're training the mind. We're uh, developing new habits that show the mind that there are other possibilities, that the mind doesn't have to think the same thoughts, right? Um, with more skillful actions, you know, and having a different outcome and having different experiences, our thoughts will change. The mind will, will generate new mental impressions. Um, so uh, remember, right, the mind is doing the thinking, not you. 
And if you recall from the episode on the mind, thoughts are like clickbait. If we click on a thought, we get more of that thought. <laughs> we juice it. We feed into it. Uh, and similarly, you know, the way an athlete would train uh, the body to perform a physical task through drills, the mind works the same way. Um, through repetition of clicking on these, you know, unskillful thoughts, we get good at those, right? Um, and we can train the mind to behave a different way. It's fully within the realm of possibility to train the mind to resist the urge to grasp and cling. Remember, if thought is the spark that lights the fuse for action by sending signals into the body, right? Then, um, then a practice where we learn to sit with those things will really be beneficial, right? So meditation, um, you know, it's bigger than just doing meditation. It, it has, it's, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda, an autobiography of a yogi, says that the practice is not the goal. So meditation it's really the practice of being uh, in a human body, right? It's not like sitting in meditation isn't the goal, right? It's being more skillful in the body uh, and cultivating enough witness consciousness in space to have a different experience. Um, it's the practice of being in the world. So uh, let's get started by understanding that the mind is not present. <laughs> it's, it's not even the mind's job to be present. That's not what the mind is for. Uh, the mind thinks, and thinking is not the act of being present, right? The mind thinks about something, and when it's thinking about it, it's never solely with the thing it's thinking about. Uh, for instance, if I'm experiencing sadness and I begin to think about my sadness and ruminating over why I'm sad and who made me sad and what I can do to change it, this rumination, it tends to push me into secondary emotions like anger and resentment. Now, if I'm present to this sadness, then I'm with those feelings in the body. Uh, when I'm with those feelings, I'm simply aware. Um, I'm mindful of the feelings in the body. Uh, and remember, awareness isn't one of those six cognitive faculties of the mind. Awareness looks at the mind. It sees the mind in action. Okay, meditation cultivates awareness and witness consciousness. Um, this means that we take consciousness, a cognitive faculty of the mind, and turn it in on itself so that it's conscious of itself. We are now thinking about thinking, and again, this is called metacognition. So, what the mind is doing is it's pulling from old experiences and comparing them to what's currently happening in the present moment. When it does this, it's trying to decide whether what's happening is going to be pleasurable or painful. So we see that the mind isn't present. It's comparing and contrasting. It, this isn't a bad thing, though. I mean, it's, it's just what the mind does, and that's okay. To expect the mind to do something else is, is pretty foolish. Um, Something that you know that that we hear often uh, when it comes to meditation is that shamatha restores sanity to an insane mind. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is that it restores sanity to an insane mind temporarily, and then it's right back into the craziness of the mind, because the mind lives in the past. It lives in the past, and it's overly concerned with the future. Um, <clears throat> I guess a way, of, uh, a way to illustrate the insanity of this would be if I believed it was 1976 and you couldn't convince me otherwise, that would be insane, right? 
course. Um, well, uh, take it, uh, make it a little more relevant. Um, what if I treated you like you were still making the same mistakes you made when you were younger? What if I never let go of what happened? What if every time I saw you, I talked about the past? See, beginner's mind is when we can tap into the present moment and see things as they are right now and not as they were. Um, and of course, you know, we don't get to stay there, you know, not all the time, right? But with, me- uh, with a meditation practice, we at least have access to it, right? Um, and, and that too, that's also a habit, the ability to do that. So what's happening is that the mind wants stability and it wants continuity, but things aren't stable and they're not continuous. And that's a real problem for the mind. Uh, you know, one of the many lessons of the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita is that wisdom frees you and like policy binds you, right? Because wisdom can only say how it is right now, right? Wisdom knows that things will change. So uh, like Krishna tells Arjuna, you have a right to the work, but you don't have a right to the reward, uh, meaning that you don't have a right to how you believe it should be, right? It's, it's going to be how it's going to be. And the looser you can be with it, the easier of a time you're going to have. It means what it means is don't attach, uh, don't become attached to the outcome, right? Now, this doesn't mean that we don't try because things are just going to be the way we're going to be, Right. It means that it doesn't mean that we don't try and it doesn't mean that we don't do. Uh, we still try and we still do, but we can't get attached to how we believe it's supposed to be or, or what we believe we're supposed to get out of it. We do because that's what we do, right? Um, Arjuna fights because Arjuna fights. Um, for instance, uh, I guess, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, to be honest, I do all this infinite spark of being stuff. Um, of course I want a certain outcome, but I rarely get it. I mean, I get what I get and what I get isn't necessarily based on my effort. (laughs) I mean, there's what I want, but then there's what I get. I can't be attached to what I want. If I were attached to the way I believe it should be and what I want, well, I would be in a constant state of grasping and clinging. I would uh, create a lot more suffering. And if we're trying to liberate ourselves on the spiritual path, then we're going to have to learn to let go of how we believe things should be. Um, and I know this sounds counterintuitive to our Western thinking minds, but I found a lot of freedom and liberation in this. You know, uh, this is all a very fine line. I understand that. Um, that's why, you know, Buddha called it the middle way. It's not too tight and it's not too loose. It's not too hard. and It's not too soft, you know? Um, there's a famous story, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you the story about Jack Cornfield. And the thing that made me think of it was because this can all sound very like contradictory, but, um, or you can find contradiction in this, you know, uh, but there's a famous story that Jack Cornfield, uh, he's told it a hundred times as some of you know it, but it's the time he tried to catch his teacher, Ajahn Chah in a contradiction. Um, when he brought it up to Ajahn Chah, uh, his teacher just said, look, if you were on a road and there was a there was a ditch on the left, I would tell you to veer to the right. And if there's a ditch on the right, I would tell you to veer to the left. Right. It just that's wisdom. It's just it only knows what's happening right now. But what if the policy was just to veer to the left? Well, you'd end up in a ditch. So 
That's what meditation trains us for. It trains us to see the middle way. It trains us in what's appropriate effort or a skillful effort or right effort. And it, it sh- kind of shows us what's not appropriate, what's not skillful or what's not right. Um, hopefully. <laughs> uh, as a side note, um, I notice I never addressed this, but I prefer the words skillful and unskillful over other words because I believe it's skillful and unskillful leaves room for change, right? It's less, it's less finger wagging kind of language. Um, so, uh, the actual practice of meditation, um, first of all, we're going to establish our home. Okay. Um, and our home is going to be the breath. Uh, a more clinical way of considering this would be, we're going to make the breath our cognitive recentering device. It's what we're going to bring our attention back to, and we're going to bring it back over and over and over again. Um, you see, that's what we're doing in meditation. It's we're strengthening that muscle, right? The one that brings our attention back to the breath. So, or, or back to whatever recentering device we're going to use. And the reason I like the breath is because I always have it with me. <laughs> um, the day that I don't have my breath, thoughts won't be a problem either, I imagine. Um, <laughs> and I don't always have a set of beads in my hand, but I always have my breath. You know? So the mind goes out which it's supposed to do, and it gets lost in God knows what. And when it does, we gently bring our attention back to the breath. Now, when we do this, we do it without judgment, categorization, and labeling. We're just noticing that the mind got lost. We're not judging the mental phenomena that grabbed our attention, and we're not judging the fact that our attention got pulled away. We're simply noting it. That's all. Just notice bring it back. And when we do, we're gentle with the mind. We're not snapping it back to attention. We're gently bringing it back. We're learning to be kind to the mind as well. Um, It's not the enemy, okay? And it's a great tool. It's a great co-pilot, but, you know, just don't let it drive. (laughs) It doesn't have to have the wheel. Um, So uh, previously, I, I mentioned habits and patterns a lot. And with this activity, meditation, We're creating a habit of noticing the mind and the body and redirecting our attention back to the breath. That's the habit we're forming. We're showing our attention the way home because our attention gets lost out there, right? The mind's a crazy place. Um, I think it was the author, Annie Lamont, who said that her mind is like a bad neighborhood and she tries not to go there often. I always thought that was funny. I believe that's what she said anyway. I'm not positive. Uh, anyway, you can think of meditation as creating a path back to the breath. Um, it was either Emerson or Thoreau who said that you can't create a new trail in the woods by walking a route one time. You have to walk the same route back and forth over and over. I'm sure I butchered that, but you get the point. Um, so the breath is home. It's our cognitive recentering device. Breath is prana or life force energy. Prana is that force that fills everything in this world. Uh, And breath is how we can experience that life force energy firsthand. This energy facilitates the movement of breath. That's what prana is. And this is how we experience it. And how, uh, and and, you know, keeping with our theme of offering a less than mystical version um, to think of this stuff, uh, if you slow the air pump down in the meat suit, then the jelly computer will slow down as well. It's very simple. The slower the breath, the slower the thoughts. So 
Um, also, our breath during meditation should be slow and gentle. It, it, it should be in through the nose and out through the nose, in through the nose, down into the belly. Then the belly should lift a little bit and then relax on the exhale. Nothing heroic. This doesn't have to be a big, you know, dramatic thing. Um, now, if you need a deeper breath, uh, just fill the belly, then fill the chest, then fill the shoulders. Then on the exhale, you're going to release the shoulders, release the chest and relax the belly. Never pull in on the belly, right? Never contract it. I've run into a lot of people over the years with, with very high anxiety and that condition makes breathing in and out of the belly very difficult. So if that's the case for you, it's okay. Breathe however you can, just make it slow and gentle. But um, I think that if you work on relaxing the abdominal muscles, you'll get air into the bottom of the lung much easier. Um, the reason that's difficult is, you know, for someone with anxiety is because one of the symptoms of anxiety is you tighten the abdomen, right? So just work on it. No pressure. You know, it's not a federal case. So another key component to the breath that always gets overlooked is that there's a brief pause or what I call a warm pocket at the top and bottom of each breath. Uh, for instance, if you try exhaling and letting the air fall away, you'll notice that there's a warm space at the bottom of the breath. And find that and rest there. And I don't mean hold your breath or force a pause, but you'll find that there's a natural pause there, even if it's only for a second or a half second. So just allow that pause to happen and then let the lungs breathe in when they're ready, right? And as for the, the one at the top, the inhale, um, it's very brief, it's very subtle. I find that people have an easier time finding the warm pocket at the bottom of the exhale at first. And then once they're familiar and comfortable with that, they begin to work with the pause at the top of the inhale. Um, you know, I find it interesting that this never gets touched on. <laughs> Because there's a 5,000-year-old text called the Vijnana Baharava. And it's basically well, it is Shiva and ba or Baharava uh, giving instructions on meditation. Um, and in many of the verses, Shiva mentions at the top and bottom of the breath, realize. And I believe it's because those are two very still moments. You know, it's a very brief time where there's nothing happening, you know. There's no breath moving in or out, yet you're not holding the breath or restricting the breath. It's just interesting anyway, and I highly recommend that text. If you're interested in it, it's spelled um, Vijnana, which is V-I-J-N-A-N-A, Baharava, B-H-A-I-R-A-V-A. -A -A. So look that up. Good, good stuff. Um, so uh, we understand the breathing and hopefully played with it for a little bit found that warm pocket, um, relaxed, uh, and then let the body breathe in when it's ready. So what we need to do next is we need to release certain places in the body or relax these places. So, you know, first would be the scalp, uh, then the muscles around the ears, then the forehead and the eyebrows, then the cheekbones and the jaw, all the little muscles in the face. On a slow exhale, you want to let the shoulders go, let the shoulders drop. And then, and then finally, you want to let go of the chest and the belly. And the reason uh, these points in the body are needed, uh, that you need to relax these, is because these are places that send signals to the brain that we're in trouble or that we're, we're uptight or whatever. Um, and that's going to be counter to what we're trying to do if we're trying to get the mind to slow down, right? Um, remember, the mind and the body are only concerned with surviving and thriving. So... Um, 
you know, they want to make more bodies. And if they feel like they're in danger, well, they're going to keep you in a heightened, you know, like anxiety. It's just simple evolutionary, whatever. I'm not an evolutionary psychologist, but, (laughs) um, so now that you've got like kind of the mechanics of meditation, uh, let's look at the approach. Uh, meditation, Chogyam Trungpa used to teach that meditation was a warrior's activity and a warrior is free, right? Uh, and one of the side effects of this practice is freedom, freedom from the urges of the body and the whims of the mind. So let's look at the posture first. Uh, The back is straight and the back is strong and it's strong because it bears the weight of compassion and not just for those we agree with and deem acceptable, but for everyone, right? Because this is a Vajra practice. Vajrayana isn't the diamond vehicle because it's pretty. Uh, These diamonds represent uncrushable compassion in the face of pain and suffering, no matter what and no matter who. Uh, One of my favorite things I used to uh, ask groups um, when Trump was still president is I would say, how many of you believe that you're a divine being of light having a human experience? And everyone raised their hands and and I'd say, well, so is Donald Trump. He too is a divine being of light having a human experience and his karma is our karma. Um, And, you know, that kind of illustrates that's the steepness of the path. That's where you land when you practice. Now, for some of you, me saying that uh, is upsetting and <laughs> you're stuck in absolutes and you struggle with black and white thinking and you might close this podcast and unfollow me immediately and I wholeheartedly agree. This isn't for you and you should move on. Find something else. Um, but for those of you that want to stay, uh, strap in, bear with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mess too. So... Uh, Now, no matter whether we're like in a chair or on the floor, the back has to be straight and strong, right? Uh, And the front is soft. And the front is soft because it's fearless. It's not afraid. It knows it can't be hurt. Again, this is a warrior's activity. Warriors are fearless, right? There's nothing to be afraid of. It's just the mind. We're just here, you know? Uh, and, and we can be that relaxed because we know the relativity of all this suffering and all this pain. You know, we understand the relative and the absolute because we're absolutely the ocean, but only relatively a wave. We know better than to get lost and be in the wave, hopefully <laughs> from time to time. And, and that knowledge creates that ease and that ease is due to fearlessness. So finally, uh, while we're sitting in meditation, Uh, We're going to regard all mental activity, external sound, and physical sensation as phenomena. That's all. Uh, It's all just phenomena, and we don't need to concern ourselves with it. And since it's just simple phenomena, we don't need to judge it. We don't need to label it. We don't need to categorize it, right? We can just um, allow it to arise and recede and do its thing. Um, all of it, thought, sound, sensation. And the more we practice uh, training the mind to do that, the easier it gets. The less reactive we are and the less reactive we are, the more we establish new patterns of behavior and we eventually change our karma. Um, this is everything. This is how we cultivate what's called witness consciousness. It's how we become more identified with the watcher and not the thinker. Uh, We're not the mind. We're not the thoughts. 
uh, as we discussed previously. So this is how we begin to change our experience of life. Um, this isn't a prayer. This isn't a favor. This is taking action. This is the beginning of mastering the senses. This is how we begin working with karma yoga. Um, so something I'd like to end this with is that um, all of these studies that they've done, uh, Yale, Harvard, UCLA, John Hopkins, they're all 10 to 20 minutes twice a day over I don't know how many months. And that's when we see a change in the biology of the brain. Uh, personally, I believe that you can find that if you can do 10 minutes at some point in the day, that's great. Um, and the rest of the day, if you could just continue to bring your attention to your breath, right? Check in with the breath, develop a, ha develop a habit of checking in with the breath, you know, make a habit out of resting in that warm pocket. Um, you know, for me, resting in that pocket is the difference in skillful and unskillful means, you know? Um, so that's it for the first episode on meditation. I'm sure I'm going to do others. Um, I'm sure I'll do a guided one eventually here. Um, again, this is only my point of view, uh, and it's my understanding of things. Always question me. It's my job to figure out the best way to explain myself to you. Um, it's not your job to figure out what the hell I'm saying, right? So if I'm not being clear, it's in my best interest that you make me clarify it. Ask me to clarify. Uh, so you're doing me a favor by asking me to explain myself. Um, and don't forget to check out the website, theinfinitesparkofbeing.com. That's where all the books and the t-shirts and stuff are. Reach out and follow on Instagram, all the social media things. Um, also, on the website, there's a link to the Patreon. If you want to give a kindness donation of $1 or $5 a month, that would be really appreciated. Um, always reach out. We've known each other for a very long time. Don't make it weird. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.